Hello and welcome to the Profusion Data Podcast. I'm Henrik Nordmark, and as always, my co-host David Weinstein joins me. So, how have you been, David? Yeah, it's um, going well, I think. I got a pellet stove, that's nice. It's basically a way of keeping things warm. You put the pellets in, then you turn it on, lights a big fire, and it smells nice. So, all's going well. It's been not, it hasn't been too cold, but it's... uh, it's getting there. How about yourself, well, Henrik? How's Canada? Pellets. Like, to me, a pellet is like stuff you feed an animal, like a hamster or something. It looks a lot like that, I have to say. <laughs> I think it's eco-friendly. That's what they tell me. Okay. So it's just, pellets is just because of the size and or, or something. It, it kind of looks like animal food or something. It looks a lot like animal food, to be honest. And it might actually double as animal food. I, I'll have to get a <laughs> rabbit out there and test it out. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I don't have a, a pellet oven or heater or, or whatever, but, but it has been getting a bit chilly here. Uh, it's been about zero degrees. Uh, we even had our first snowfall, uh, although it didn't last very long. It was on the ground for maybe a few hours. And mm. um, Yeah, us too. I wonder if we were the same one. And, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's beautiful, though, when snow comes out, yeah? It is. Do you know gorgeous. from snow, from your background, do you, have you had a snowy life? Lifestyle. Um, I used to ski a lot as a kid. Uh, I started skiing when I was seven. But uh, you know, living in Mexico City, there wasn't that much snow in my immediate surroundings. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that was around, not too far away from Mexico City, was the so-called Nevado de Toluca, uh, which is uh, like the highest mountain in Mexico. Mm. And was it a Pico de Orizaba? I can't remember. Uh, anyways, it is very, 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 very high. Um, and so you could actually go up there and find snow almost any time of the year. And, um, the roads are very rickety and dangerous and you can barely pass another car as you're going up the mountain. Uh, it's, it's a little bit scary, actually. That sounds like a real adventure there. <laughs> Indeed it is. <laughs> All right. So on today's episode, we have Ken Robinson from OBR. That's the Open Bank Reporting Limited company. And it'd be really interesting to see how they use all kinds of financial data, create synthetic data, and use this to help SMEs get better credit. Mm. So it'll be less of a perilous journey than your trip up to Nivelle de Luca yes. for those businesses. Hopefully so. So let's go to Ken. Okay, let's open those banking reports. All right, Ken, welcome on the show. Hi, uh, Ken. You are the Chief Data Officer and Head of Analytics at the Open Banking Reporting Limited, OBR for short. Um, how have you been over the last month? It's been great. Well, first of all, thanks very much for inviting me. Uh, it's great to meet both of you here. Um, sure, yeah, it's been really, really good. I, I guess uh, based here in, in Edinburgh, um, we're just kind of working into in, into winter now, so it's it's really nice. The country is really beautiful. So I had a few trips up north. It's been nice. Have you had a bit of snow up there? We've had a few snowy weekends. Yes, you're right. The um, the Kangoom has had its snow. It's been good. Skis have been out. Yeah. Nice, nice skis. Wow. Do you do cross country or downhill? I'm a back country skier. So, okay. yeah. so off piece. To be honest, I've been sea kayaking on the sea, oh, which sea has kayaking. been nice. Um, mm-hmm. That's a place for it. Yeah. Oh, sea kayaking sounds intense. 
Uh, uh, the, the the west coast of Scotland has, uh, with the with the with the islands that it has, makes for really really nice kayaking. Cool. I'll have to try that sometime. I know there's <laughs> quite a bit of kayaking here in British Columbia, but it's not That's something right. I've ever. Vancouver tried Island yet. is very famous for it. Yep, yep. Mm. yep. And so is Maine, for sure. That sounds like fun. <laughs> so, why don't you tell us a little bit about OBR? Uh, what its mission is as a company, and what your role is uh, within all of that. Uh, so Open Banking Reporting, it was formed probably about two years plus ago. Uh, a mission really to to support the uh, small medium enterprise businesses within the UK, uh, help them access credit, help them understand um, uh, and and be be prosperous and and profitable within the UK and, and the global market. Um, through accessing credit, basically, through having um, good lines of credit or other things too, I suppose. So our, our product is is uh, targeted at the lender, the lender being able to um, look into uh, the business, understand really what that risk profile might be, give them earlier insight, allowing early intervention in a cycle, but also help them with what those next best actions is so they can actually support that business. So what? Let me just ask a couple of questions about that to help to help clarify that because sure. I'm not familiar with everything, or maybe I think I am, but it turns out I'm not. So open banking. What is open banking? So open banking. Uh, what we're looking really at, we're using some of the the infrastructure that's been made available within, I, I guess, the freeing up of the financial markets within uh, Europe and, and globally. Uh, our first point is really to look at accounting data. How can we use some of the accounting data that's available um, through the cloud-based accounting packages? Um, in essence, if you can think about a small business, they may be doing their accounts. Uh, historically, that might have been on a, a laptop, but today they would have migrated onto the cloud. If you're able to give the keys for that cloud package to somebody, they can access that cloud data, and with it becomes a huge amount of value. I see. So the idea would be that the Bank. So in other words, rather than having a, a bunch of books in my attic somewhere, I actually have the, I'm already doing this on the so-called cloud, right? Cause I don't want to do anything off of the cloud. Sure. My, my computer might break. And, um, I can selectively let a bank in and say, look at all this great stuff that's going on in our accounts. I can let them see everything or some, share of, of the accounts and they can say, okay, that sounds good. We should loan you money. We should give you some other sorts of products. Is that, is that, am I getting the general flavor of it? In principle, absolutely. I mean, there needs to be a value exchange. Uh, the SME needs to really see the benefit in sharing that data. And equally, the, business, the, the lender needs to understand what they can get from that exchange. And today, you could imagine if a, if a, a small business is looking to uh, secure a loan, it, it, it will share its um, its accounts, whether it be its P&L and its balance sheet with a bank as it goes through mm -hmm. that eligibility process. But rather than giving, loss. Okay. Absolutely. So rather than giving a paper version, let's use uh, the digital world and share the electronic version. So this reminds me a little bit of how uh, I'm signed up with Experian as a, a customer. And I know that one of the ways that they try to entice you to share more information with them is by saying it's like look if you give us access to your bank accounts 
uh, we will then automatically boost your credit score by mm. so many points. Is is that something akin to what you're doing? So I'm uh, so, so absolutely uh, Experian are offering a value exchange there where they benefit from data and 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 then the consumer will benefit and uplift in their credit score. The value exchange is is similar but but different. Uh, um, the SME might uh, share their accounting data, um, and the lender. Uh, through through our product would be able to share back what some of the key insights that they're learning. They can share back some what the credit scores might be on some of the supplier and customer base. So there's a whole lot of insight that's generated in that process and the lender would be able to share back some of that insight to the business. So you're, you're saying that the lender is not only assessing the business it's lending to, but it's also giving, it could potentially be giving the business that it's lending money to Inf- other information about the clients of that business. Absolutely, there's a great idea, and, and if, if I give you an example, when you uh, when you see the accounting data, not only do you see the profit and loss and the balance sheet, but you also see, not surprisingly, the invoices for the customers, and you might see yes. the bills for your suppliers. If yes. you're able to identify the customers and your suppliers, then we can secure with our relationship with Experian, we can. We can access the credit scores for those institutions. We can give you back what that payment performance might be against some of those. You give an insight mm-hmm. into your mm-hmm. into your customer base, insight into your supplier base, and you can help. Um, I guess understand what whether you're exposed to any embedded risks within your supply chain. Right. Whether you're dealing with some former president who's known for not uh, paying what's owed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess what what happens as we're coming into. Uh, really kind of, I guess, economic choppy waters as we kind of go forward, then trying to get the earliest lead you can understand what a bit, what risks my business exposed to and how can I use that and how can I uh, make my business as more resilient as I can. Which is also obviously relevant to your, to your own credit score. So that's, that, that seems to be a good fit there, good synergy there. We want to ask you a little bit about what your own role is in the process. What do you get your hands dirty with or... What are you managing on? Absolutely. So I guess my lead is, is my background is analytics. I've worked in the analytics sphere for in finance for the last 20, 25 years. Um, my, I've worked both in commercial banking, consumer banking within credit cards, both UK, US. Um, and I come to OBR really to help understand what that proposition might be uh, towards a lender. How can we understand... How can we reason over that uh, those accounting data and what's embedded? Some of that commercial data that we talk about with Experian, how can we reason over that data to get to generate the, the most insights on behalf of, first of all, on behalf of the lender? But equally, is there a way that we can reason over that data and share some of those insights back to the small business so they can help improve the resilience of their business and create that valuable ex- uh, value exchange? Just to just to plug in there, dig in a little bit there. Analytics means different things to different people, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you? What do you, when I thought of analytics, I thought of something like data analytics, uh, which to be to be frank, you know, data analysis. I, I don't. I, I can't remember what my definition is of that either. But <laughs> how do you? How do you? Um, how do you define analytics when when you in answering that question? What did you mean by? It? That's a great question. Um, so we're ingesting raw data. And how do you turn that data and generate insights 
and what those insights are and how to move them forward into into actions. And that kind of transformation and creating that value through that pipeline is really what I would say is analytics. The methods that you apply, I think that's where you differentiate and you're going into actually what is probably the space is 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 what are the analytics uh, methodologies that will help you do that? So how can you summarize that data? Um, how can you look for what is interesting facets of that data? Um, how can we look at prediction, which might help mm-hmm. us to do mm-hmm. that? So you look at those different elements of the analytical kind of toolbox. So I'm, I'm kind of curious how um, what the balance of techniques is. I mean, I know just looking from your background that you have a BSc in, in pure maths and then you did an MSc in operations research and then an MA in economics and econometrics. So uh, you definitely have like a large repertoire of things to draw on and I'm sure that your team of arrows. Uh, yeah. probably also has a large repertoire of maybe not just traditional statistical modeling but maybe some more computer science-y machine learning Absolutely. type modeling. Uh, what have you found most interesting, most useful, most insightful in the stuff that you're doing currently? Well, okay, so I, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. I, I think as any startup, one of the things that we have is, is an issue just around how do you get availability of data? How do you start from zero data and actually grow into a business? And that, that, that business might actually start with some... Um, understanding what might be some semi-supervised learning and how do you eventually mature that business. So there's a nice roadmap there in how you understand the data. And then as you grow data and you have outcomes, then how do you move into supervised learning? Can we be a little more concrete there? Let's think, can we think of an example of okay. the sort of data that you're trying to grow, the sort of you know, things you're trying to predict with that data and what you sure. mean by semi-supervised learning? Okay. If we're yeah. not getting too technical too fast. Let me, let me give two concrete examples on that. Uh, the first one is, um, I mean, actually, we did a great project with Profusion, which probably helps us why, why we got here today. Um, we were, uh, as, as, as a fintech within the UK, we were invited to the FCA Sandbox. The Financial uh, Conduct Authority were running a, a, a program inviting fin, uh, fintechs to work within a a sandbox essentially where they created a simulation of the UK uh, uh, banking ecosystem. Uh, you had banks, you had uh, consumers, you had SMEs, all in this data flowing around in a simulation. Um, it was really understanding and, and how could we use some of that data to, to, to answer the questions that might be coming out of COVID. You were able to see what the balance sheet was for a business. You understand what some of the pulse surveys were, were coming out of what the businesses were, 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 were feeling through that period. And what we were able to do was, with a piece of work, we were able to correlate what was how the businesses were performing and actually how they looked before they went into the COVID lockdown. Some great insights into that. You, you start to see that the businesses that had, some, not surprisingly, if you had a, a, some capital reserve, then actually you fared well or better as you went through that, that process. Let me let me just ask some some clarifications there. Um, I the, I I get the question of what would predict how what predicted how well mm. a business did during and after the pandemic. We're not really after, are we? But during the pandemic, you know how could how could that have been predicted based on 
the initial observable characteristics of that business. Right. Um, so I could imagine that as a an interesting prediction exercise to do. Maybe one that I'd also gain insight from. Sure. Uh, but you said it's a simulation. So am I trying to learn from a from? Were you trying to predict what happened in the simulation or what happened in this universe, which some also argues is simulation? Uh, let me let me come back a little bit from simulation. It's a synthetic data, so it's a it's a representation. I think a pretty good representation of of, the, of that ecosystem. All right. So you were talking about building data. Resource. I'm trying to remember how yeah. we forked into this. You're building data resources sure. and semi-structured. Was it? Did you say semi-structured or did you say no, semi-supervised? Semi-supervised. Yeah. So, yeah. so okay. Let's let's move on to an, uh, a, a second example. Um, as we go into accounting data, it's really interesting to understand the data that might be coming through there. We've talked a little bit about some balance sheet data. We've talked a little bit about some profit and loss data. We've got some insights into what be the customer base and the supplier base. There's a whole round of metrics you can generate from that. Some classic financial metrics in terms of performance and efficiency of that business. You can understand about um, uh, uh, concentrations um, in terms of your suppliers. So you can describe that business in some very, very interesting ways with that oh, data. Yeah. Um, I think what you, what, what you might want to do is understand on that journey to say what if you don't have outcome data, but what you actually understand is actually you can generate some some metrics. You can understand for signals. I mean, when is is a signal uh, something that is normal within that business, and when might be an exceptional mm. level? So, if you can understand what some of those thresholds might be, we can understand a little bit about semi-supervised learning. So, when do this? We describe the data, we look at a population, and we understand what might be. Um, if you like, more extreme uh, examples within that data. I'd like to circle back to what you're talking about with synthetic data, because I know that this is a, a project that you know, Profusion worked on with OBR. Yeah. And uh, I know our, our KTP associate, Juan Equiwa, uh, was very actively involved with you and daily stand-ups yeah. and, and stuff. Um Tell us a little bit why is it interesting to use that th synthetic data approach? Because I think from a naive perspective, you might think like, well, you're using fake data. Why don't you just use the real data and then train your models on that? And I know some of the answers to this, but I, I think it'd be really wasn't it because too. it was it because of the they couldn't use the business's private data in this simula in this contest. Wasn't it just a practical thing? So, first of all, uh, bringing all that data together takes a huge amount of effort. Uh, there's multiple data sources. If I could say that you have both survey data, you will have um, filings from the business. Uh, in the UK, that'd be companies' house filings. You might also um, have both transaction data, um, and you might have some uh, profile data, and you might have some credit reference data, agent data. So actually to bring all that data together is really, really quite difficult. Um, uh, first of all, there's the effort in, in putting it in one place and then actually then actually creating those match keys that it becomes meaningful to do that. When, first of all, putting all that together is, is, is a major task in itself. And the FCA doing that on behalf of the industry, I think was a huge, huge, huge benefit. Oh, wow. But it was 
they did it, but they didn't completely do it because you said, well, I don't know, maybe we don't want to belabor this, but because you said it was simulated data and not actual data. They did something well, that not, would be it, consistent. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so I think it's more fair to call it synthetic data as Sorry, opposed to... Sorry, I said to, simulated. Yeah, synthetic, uh, said, uh, yeah. So, so synthetic data, so they, they would take a sample um, and they take an end sample from, say, the filings of company's mm-hmm. house. They would help you with a base. You would then have some survey data, which at one level can be matched on. So how, how do you determine that match key? How do you fuse on that data? So now you can have a, a simulated response for each person within your sample. Equally, how can I bring my credit reference data in and at what level can I actually fuse that data on? I might be working with samples in each of these universes, but when I bring them together, I need to find a consistent data frame. So just just to hopefully maybe show understanding and clarification of this, because I'm not sure that I'm that I'm there. It sounds yet. It sounds like the goals of doing this of this synthetic data, its value was twofold. One, you didn't have to. I mean, usually when I think of synthetic data, I think of okay, I do something so that people can't track an individual back to their response so that they don't feel that their privacy was violated, their business secrets. So that right. seems like that was one benefit. Yes, was. And another benefit yes, was, was maybe was maybe that we were you were if I understand correctly, was that you were able to bring together different data frames without always having exact linking keys, but that were without always having linking keys that are correct, but still in a way that we think the inference would still be 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 valid, be relevant. I think that's not adding too much noise, hopefully. I think that's right. You're right. That, that there's a limit to that, but equally, if you can if you can train your models on that environment, then there's a transfer a transfer value. And it, maybe we can even finish the semi supervised part. Mm. Um, so supervised learning is where uh, I have an outcome that I'm trying mm. to use data to predict in some training sample, and it's supervised because I can. Tell it, did you predict correctly or not? I can say, here's the out. I can say, here's the out. It fits a mo- I'm not explaining as well as I could, but it fits a model. It's supervised. Yeah, good job. Good job. You, you mm-hmm. know, you, you, you predicted this outcome pretty well. And then we can bring it to the testing data or bring it to the real production environment. Is that a, okay. you know, decent, decent characterization? Unsupervised, I'm looking basically at associations between things. There's no particular outcome variable. That's right. That's right. You, you've got the two extremes there. Well, one, you have an outcome and you're trying to right. correlate your inputs and your outputs. And then looking at uh, unsupervised, you're looking for relationships within the data inherently. So semi-supervised sits within that middle. I might look at what are the relationships of my data. Um, but inherent, inherently, I might generate metrics. Post-event, I might say, are some of these metrics correlated to my outcome? So I'm not directly training my models mm-hmm. on the outcome. What I'm asking mm-hmm. the question is, if I'm able to design my unsupervised learning algorithms in a way, that will give me insight into a range of outcomes and how are they correlated with my outcomes. What's nice about that is you actually don't need to explicitly know the outcome before you start. Mm. And in a world where where data is very scarce, that's a really interesting problem. 
kind of healthy I get it. process. So you might build little clusters and profiles or maybe a, some dimensions of these different businesses that adhere together in, in relevant ways without, without yet having looked at their profit and loss outcomes and then Correct. say, okay, well, how well do these, do these different dimensions or, or measures or factors actually predict it? Very nice. Absolutely. I mean, I can take a process where I might be able to weight some of those in th- those clusters and I say, yeah, these metrics are more insightful than these. So I'm creating that kind of almost um, pseudo modeling process, but not overfitting the outcome at this point because I don't really have that outcome data at this point. Okay, okay. I don't have so the is... robustness to build those those large data samples. And as a migration from synthetic data through to real world data, it's a really helpful place in the middle. That is something I was wanting to ask: is like, how do you guarantee that you aren't overfitting uh, with the the, the semi-supervised learning approach. Uh, I, I remember a master's student that I, I supervised a few years back who was trying to, I think, label website data. So she had okay. some, yeah, yeah, some websites that had you know nice metadata, and she had it was properly labeled. But then there were a whole bunch of other pages that she also wanted to assign a label to, and and I, and then she took this semi-supervised approach, but. It it always kind of feels a little bit like cheating to me, where it's like, well, you're going to imagine that these other unlabeled things are have a label, even though they really don't. I I, I think you need to be careful about on what criteria you're assessing the, the quality of the model. Um, in your example, I think you're looking at yeah, maybe what's the accuracy of this of of this label within this with within this log file. Um, from my perspective, I think you really need to um, not only see what insight you get, but you do need to be very careful about what the holdout sample might be. And then actually, as you move forward into into that real world data, you need to be challenging about what that insight is and be very, very careful not to overfit. It's an intermediary step, I'd argue, as you move towards um, towards supervised learning. But what is what is very clear is that it will identify anomalies very, very well and very easily because of the nature of it. And I think it's very good at identifying anomalies. So I, I can hear our, in, in my mind's eye, I can hear our producer uh, banging and crying right now because this is the most, I think the most technical we've been in <laughs> in a uh, podcast in a while. Uh, but I, I, think it's, I think it's interesting to, to get some of this uh, vegetables in there. <laughs> All right, Ken. So I'd love to take a step back. And especially right now that we're still in the middle of this pandemic with the new Omicron mm. variant uh, <laughs> appearing on stage and that having, you know, a scary impact in the sense that it's created further uncertainty. I think for a lot of us, we started to think that, okay, maybe we're, we're beginning to see the, the end of uh, some of the lockdown restrictions and other things. What role can OBR really play in helping you know SMEs and other firms deal with the pandemic, maybe get a, get better lines of credit, uh, sure. etc. Yeah, help us out. Absolutely. So yeah, so we take two sides. Basically, the the lender who's providing the 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 finance, but also the small business, the firm that's consuming the finance. So the proposition I think to the uh, lender is that if you can understand that business through the life of the loan, because this is something that not only is that origination process, but through the whole life of that loan, you can understand um, 
what act, what may be happening in that business. Uh, a lender has a huge, uh, maybe a large portfolio of, of businesses it might be looking after. How can you understand, sift through the from the wheat, from the chaff, and understand which of the 10 businesses that I really need to pay some attention to? Either that might be from a credit risk perspective. It could be from a trading perspective. It could be from a liquidity perspective. How do I generate that insight into that business that allows me to make an intervention slightly earlier in, this, in, the, in, in, in the cycle, but also a little bit more relevant in that cycle as well? What's an intervention and how does it, how can it save us from the pandemic? I mean, a great insight from, from the survey that we just talked about recently with the FCA is we understand that not all businesses have been hit in the same well through pandemic. And actually, some businesses have benefited hugely in terms of their operating model, their business model. We can see that those that have been able to adjust to maybe that digital and, and that delivery uh, business model have actually prospered quite well. Those businesses that might be more fixed in their assets, maybe in whether be restaurants, hospitality, or entertainment has, has actually been a lot more difficult. If you can generate some insight, then how can you make sure you can help those businesses and you can manage them in a sensible, prudent, and responsible way? Uh, for those businesses that actually really um, are, 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 are making great gains in that environment, how can we understand that? How can we see that? How can we uh, support them through that growth? Equally, if you have a business that maybe is might be struggling, you might understand that that's a fundamentally a great business, and this is just a point in time. And how do we help this business through that point in time? So, so what's an but what's an intervention? You said intervention. I wasn't sure what that Absolutely. meant. Absolutely. So, an intervention. I'm I'm going I'm going to say that there's a, there's a, there's a spectrum there. Um, you might be identifying an insight that might generate an investigation. Um, how can I understand this a little bit more? I might actually find something that might prevent a either uh, a selling opportunity in terms of maybe often a risk which might be associated. Take an example: if you have something like uh, liquidity within my with my business, um, I might be running short of cash flow. Actually, a, a bank or a finance house can help with uh, a liquidity problem by thinking about some either invoice finance. You might be able to move through some uh, sale and leaseback process. So there's a way of creating um, liquidity within that business by maybe selling some financial instruments, and that might be a helpful uh, opportunity. Some I, sort of restructuring that gives the puts injection be, of cash in a way that absolutely isn't there's, fundamentally mess, causing them to make a decision that's unproductive without absolutely. screwing up this the production process. Uh, I got it. Absolutely. Un- understanding the needs of the business, the genuine needs of that business, and how can you help them in that process? So you alluded to earlier a little bit about uh, the supply chain and thinking about both the suppliers of a firm and its clients and how that kind of uh, supply chain analysis or network analysis can be really helpful. Um, and I know you and I have spoken previously a little bit about the case with Carillion uh, <laughs> in the construction industry and how this one company had such a, a huge impact on um, the supply chain and the construction industry. You want to maybe tell us a little bit about that and perhaps how some of the work that 
you do at OBR could mitigate those kinds of risks in the future. I, I, it, is an, it is an interesting case study within the UK. Uh, Carillion, for those uh, that are not too familiar with it, this is a, a, a huge construction company, um, actually defunct now, um, was a major um, uh, player within the construction, both taking government contracts uh, for building infrastructure schemes um, but the way they structured their business as well was actually there's lots of subcontracting going on and lots of other uh, contractors were actually employed in in delivering that business. I think without going too much into the detail about why that business failed, uh, le- enough to say maybe there was some financial engineering, they may be overstretched and in the end the world imploded on them. But from a, from a subcontractor's perspective as a small business that might have been doing work on behalf of Carillion, then understanding what was the payment performance of Carillion with respect to your business, so Carillion being a customer, can I can I get insight? Can I see maybe the credit score might have been sliding? Could I see that they were taking longer to pay? And if I'd had some of these insights a little bit earlier, might have been able to address that and think about how do I make my business slightly more resilient as I go into mm. that. Um, whether Show me the money. Sh- it, absolutely, and and. It, it's a great example to say if, if I'd had more insight into my um, into my customer base, can I make my business a little bit more resilient and be prepared for some of these issues? Mm. This is the timeliness of the data and the breadth of data. Absolutely, the the and not only um, uh, the breadth of data and and the depth in terms of uh, these relationships, but actually how can we put that analytics together that will both. Uh, illuminate and give that insight into what are those key metrics that you should be interested in and and how does that correlate. The great thing about looking at some of the performance data is that credit scores could often be considered slightly backward looking um, in that they're heavily biased between whether you paid your interest on time. But in terms of as a business, are you able to pay your bill? That's probably a pre-delinquency uh, uh, process. You might pay your bank before you pay your customer. So it's really important as a customer, you can see things early as possible. And that might be actually in how the payment behavior of previous bills, how you might look at that over the last period to, as giving insight. Okay, I, this comes to my mind a, a challenging question, the sort of maybe it's a too shark tanky, but... I guess the the question is, okay, so you're trying to get people to say, yeah, open banking with us, come share it. We'll we'll get insights that's going to help you prove how credit worthy you are. Uh, we'll also get insights about give you insights about the people you're working with to know how much of a risk you should think them to be. If I'm thinking about going into business with OBR do, doing this open banking thing, how do I know two things? One that it's not going to actually worsen my credit score because I've shared stuff with you that, oh, that actually is bad news. I mean, everything can't always be good news, then it wouldn't be news, right? Secondly, and relatedly, uh, this is maybe more of a specific question, does that, so you're getting insight about whether my debtors will pay me, let's say, um, but aren't you, by working with OBR, am I not giving also information to my creditors and to people who I'm, who I've, you know, made deals with that's going to make them come knocking on my door and say, hey, pay up, pay up, pay up. 
How do you address those concerns? I mean, the, uh, the data sharing agreement is between the lender and the SME. It, it, it's not between the lender and the SME and other businesses. Um, it's, it's really a bilateral arrangement. Um, so there's no way that you are okay. signing an agreement that your, if you like, your other, your suppliers and your customers are sharing that information. Oh, it doesn't expose me more. But what about the first part of the question? How do I know it's not going to make my credit score generally worse to do this? So there's a, so what does that mean? But um, is it going to make it more accurate, or is it going to make it is it going to make it worse? What I'd say well, is couldn't that it be both. Well, in some cases, exactly. right? That's a great that. That's a great point. Um, what's really important is what we're talking here is probably a tool that will help us through the life of the loan. So you have the credit. Um, I, th I think it's really important, and I would suggest that uh, in terms of understanding a credit standing is really, really important. I think if you can have that open dialogue, then you can actually do something meaningful about it. I don't think any bank is there looking to try and trip people up and to foreclose on a loan. What they want to do is make sure they have a profitable and long relationship. Mm. If the credit worthiness is slipping, then actually there's there's a great insight, uh, opportunity there for a discussion to see whether it's material or not. And actually it's something that, that, the, that the, the parties should be concerned about. Mm, themselves. Okay, okay. Well, I don't want to belabor that. It's a great conversation and uh, you're yeah. absolutely right. And, and you have to decide whether... it. it What's the motivations of the party? And I think you have to believe that the motivations are positive. It's not necessarily the case that everyone should want to be doing business with you. It could be that only, you know, maybe the majority, but maybe a certain segment of people will benefit a lot by doing business with you and, and through uh, you and using your services. Absolutely. And, and in some respects, um, you, you know, understanding what is the, uh, the capacity, the debt capacity for a business is, is really important. And overstretching somebody isn't doing anybody's any favor, mm -hmm. giving more credit than they can handle. Great. All right. So now it's time for the Oracle. <laughs> Uh, and when we play the oracle, basically, it's a very open-ended question about what would you like to know about the world a hundred years from now uh, regarding the stuff that you do. So regarding maybe banking, uh, open banking, uh, having a better value exchange between consumers and financial institutions, or it could even be something more data science-y. So your question is, 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 is what would I like to know that might help my... my um, yeah, so what are your predictions about what that kind of relationship might be like 100 years from now? Uh, absolutely. I, I'll say there's two folds in terms of uh, that relationship between the lender and the, the firm. Uh, today, you might argue that it's quite asymmetric in terms of that power balance. You might say that the lender has more power than that firm in terms of how... Um, both both uh, debt is requested and how it is serviced. I think in the future, I think we might see that that power balance starts to shift quite significantly to the firm. The firm um, really starts to be uh, a, the real driving force. It owns the data and it the data is what it might trade. I think that's the first thing, that power shift. I think that sharing of data as well, and you create more perfect information. So actually, it's a, it's a, 
it's a more meaningful relationship. So people understand exactly the situation of that business and I can serve it with a far more appropriate product as well. So you both get um, uh, uh, the power shift, but also you get the quality of information that is shared becomes far, far more salient and relevant. A hundred years from today. <laughs> we have a lot to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It might be before to. that, though. I tell you, you might say 10 years. <laughs> uh, I certainly think it'd be nice if we had more power yeah. and that relationship. All right, so next we have the correlation game. Okay. Is it? Is it? Is it? The correlation game is where I give you two variables and you need to guess whether there's a positive, negative, or no correlation. In fact, we need you to give us a number between negative one and plus one as to how strong you think this correlation is. But also, I, I also <laughs> annoyingly add to this, I want you to give a correlation and I want you to give 80% confidence intervals mm. on your correlation so we can get, get at some calibration. Here. <laughs> Pearson's okay. correlation. Okay. All right. And the two variables for today come, again, from the World Happiness Report of 2021. And it's the correlation between generosity versus life expectancy at birth. What is generosity? Sorry. What is, how is that measured? Do you not have? I don't a, do we know. know that? I don't remember. I, you have the report as just as I do. Do I? Okay. <laughs> um, so I'm going to say that it's a 65% correlation, so 0. 0.065 plus, um, and I'm going to say that the confidence interval is around. Oh, there's a good one. 50%. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, no, I, I need, I need more than that. So, so first of all, this is this data at the country level. I'm assuming, right? Yes, yes. And I need a, I need an eighty percent range. So you said 0. 0.65 is oh, your point. Oh, sorry. So, so yeah, so give me eighty uh, percent okay. low bound and upper bound. Okay. See, I gave you the confidence interval around my sixty percent, but you, what you want to say? Can you give me an upper or low bound that I'm uh, yeah, 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 okay, sixty percent. Okay. Um. So my eighty percent. Yeah, my. my my 80% confidence interval around the number would be um, upper limit 0.7 and lower limit 0.2. Very good. Uncentered. Okay. Okay. Not yeah. Notably uncentered confidence interval. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. Interesting. All right. And the answer? <laughs> it is positive. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> it is zero dot... Zero two. Ooh, wow, out of the out of the eighty percent. Wow, it's wow. actually a very very weak correlation. Positive, but very very weak. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure I had to take away from that. Maybe uh, <laughs> the next time I do that quiz, I need to be um, less uh, less bold. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what what does that say. Like that means that. If you're in a country where... It says very little, I, I would suggest. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It, exactly. It says it, it very, sounds, very little. It sounds like there's, a, there's other major life events and world events that are far more 
far more significant than than probably some personal yeah yeah than how long you're going to live when you yeah yeah Yeah. there might be a war there might be a hurricane there might be lots of stuff going on with these with both of those those measures and yeah i mean most people are uh overconfident when they express their confidence intervals mm-hmm. so, but it takes it takes a little bit of there's this whole thing calibration training you can train yourself to be really mm-hmm. well calibrated which which you might be you know there's always <laughs> one one data point doesn't uh, tell the whole story all right well good, good all right well thanks ken robinson for joining us today on the show it's been lovely having you on and uh, speak to you soon thanks very much for having me it's been a it's been a pleasure i hope to see you around Pleasure is ours. That's all we've got time for. Thanks, David, as usual, for joining oh, my me. Pleasure. And remember, if you want to get in touch with us, please do so on Twitter at PRFSN or by email at hello at profusion.com. Until next time, goodbye. Stay calibrated out there, people. Mm-hmm.